This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! my beautiful screamers and happy halloween and most of all welcome welcome to another episode of scream queens it's the podcast where horror gets gay this is episode 303 and tonight john carpenter month continues to celebrate it we're going to take a look at one of his most spooky stories ever the 1980 tale of revenge from beyond the grave and under the sea the fog and help me out i got two special guests we're going to be joined by world famous actor michael k loon and super fabulous canadian tara gardner but first please allow me to introduce myself my name is patrick walsh i'm your guide on this so far 11 year tour through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies but you are going to have to see them through my very very Gay little eyes. And you will love it. Michael Kalen, if you're listening, you might have got that joke if you had Mr. G for geometry. You know what we're talking about. That's an inside joke. But you know what? We're going to have enough of them coming up later on. But first, you know what? I'm going to break tradition a little bit here because I'm not going to give you a smoochy watch. I'm not going to tell you what's been going on in Scream Queen's headquarters because it's the Halloween season. That was a really weird way to say Halloween. 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 It feels like Chloe Sevigny might have said that. Hello, America. This is Chloe Sevigny. And it's come to my attention that I love Halloween. That sounds about right. That sounds like her. Anyway, we're not talking about Drew Droji either. So instead, I'm going to tell you a tale suitable for the upcoming holiday. A tale of a tale much like the fog about writing past wrongs and revenge. Remember how I used to have that neighbor that lived next door to me, an apartment next door. Always complaining about Smoochie the cat. Always having some bitch to bitch about some bitch. Me being the bitch. Well, they moved out. When COVID got bad, they hit the road. Hooray, goodbye, good riddance. But, you know, like that old saying goes about monsters or, or dragons or serpents or whatever. You hack one head off nice and clean and boom, you get two new ones sprouting up in its place. Because no sooner is that one gone, I've got a new pain in my ass, the neighbor below. The pain in the ass from down below. This new neighbor is extremely sound sensitive and is always knocking on my door complaining about something. I first met him a while ago. I was getting rid of some old furniture. There was an old Ikea set of drawers where the drawers had fallen apart and you couldn't get them open anymore and you couldn't put them back together either. And me being a fabulous 50-year-old homosexual living alone, living a bachelor lifestyle in New York City during a goddamn pandemic, couldn't get anybody to help me bring it downstairs to the garbage. So I did my best to take it apart, but eventually it was so fucked up, I had to take a hammer to it. 
So the plan was to bust this thing into little tiny pieces and carry them downstairs in a bunch of trips rather than trying to drag the whole thing down four flights of stairs by myself because you know me, I'm not particularly graceful. You know I would have been pinned under that thing at the bottom of the stairwell, bleeding out, and my last thought being, damn it, why couldn't I have died in the apartment so at least Smoochie would eat my corpse? Who's going to feed the cat? Uh, I'm dead. And so this particular afternoon, I was banging out, knocking apart this drawer, getting all the pieces out, knocking apart the next drawer, getting all the pieces out. When I hear, at the door, I get to meet my new neighbor, all a fluster. My goodness, what's going on up here? I'm taking apart a drawer. Well, my wife is trying to sleep and she's very sound sensitive. I said, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm taking apart a drawer. I'll try to keep it down. Which is my way of saying, blow me. This was the first of many, many instances of that. Uh, Saturday afternoon around four o'clock, I was vacuuming. Apparently I was vacuuming too loud. What is going on up here? It's so loud. Dude, it's the afternoon. When would you like me to vacuum? When I was sick. You know, for those of you who are new to the show, I had a terrible bacterial virus plus a parasitic infection that gave me horrific crippling diarrhea for a good 10 days. And one of the worst nights, I'll try to spare you the gory details, but I was in so much pain, I remember I had to kind of roll out of bed. I rolled out of bed, I stumbled to the kitchen. (laughs) I did not pour myself a cup of ambition. Something poured out of me instead, but I'm not there. I basically was bumbling my way through, and I know it was, I knocked some stuff over, and whatever. And I know I was in a ton of pain, so I know I wasn't being quiet either. I mean, I know when the big event was happening, when I finally made it to the bathroom after stumbling through the kitchen and not pouring myself a cup of ambition, I was not quiet about it. But you know what? I was sick, okay? I had an excuse. I had a doctor's note, for God's sake. I got a four-page letter slipped under my door, complaining about the noise. And I'm thinking, okay, I get that. It was two in the morning, three in the morning when that happened, but it wasn't like it was going on for hours. And I was sick. And I said, you know what? I could respond to this, but it's none of your fucking business. You live in New York City. There's noise. So either learn to deal with it or move back to whatever, like, frenetically sealed, soundproof suburban booth you moved here from. Because the rent was cheap. Because it's a pandemic. I know what your type. You come in here, you move into a city from where the fuck you came by taking, taking advantage of the pandemic low rent because of the fucking tragedy that happened in our neighborhood. And then you start complaining about everything in the neighborhood. Um, excuse me, we don't like the way you do things here. I know we're new, but we want you to change everything to f- suit us. Fuck off. So just this afternoon now, I'm hanging up my framed poster that I got when I got the Friday the 13th box set. I, of course, to do that, one needs a hammer and nails. So I had hammered a nail into the wall. So I hammer a nail into the wall, and I thought as I was doing it, as I hammered the three tap, tap, taps, to get the nail safely situated into place, I thought, if that fucker comes knocking on my door over three tiny hammer taps, I'm going to lose my tits. Excuse me. Could you please hold it down? It's noon on a Sunday, sir. 
cue meltdown in five, four, three. Like, if you are this sound sensitive, you picked the wrong fucking city to move to. You live in a building with dozens of other people. People make noise. I'm not going to be walking around on eggshells 24 hours a day because I might disturb you by doing everyday menial tasks. I have been keeping a log, sir, of every time you've come up here, and I've kept all the fucking letters, because there's been several now, so that you slipped under my door, because if you come up here bothering me with your petty problems one more time, I'm turning this whole thing over to the landlord. Because this, sir, is harassment. And I will not be harassed. And then it hit me. I had a secret weapon. I said, and listen, mister. This is my Maria Aspenskaya curse. Now picture me in a, with a crystal ball and a babushka, possibly a water my nose going, if you think the noise is bad now, just you wait, neighbor from down below, because you're really not going to like it when it's time to turn on the... And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean the... And I just laughed. I said, (laughs) oh, believe me. When it happens, you'll know. And I closed the door very cryptically. Because as it just so happens, the other thing that happened just this morning was that the... Turned on in the building. Now, for those of you who are new to the show and are wondering what the fuck just happened, well, see, this has been an 11-year tradition here on Scream Queen just because, you know, I'm a horror fan, but also a big musical theater geek as well. I just like to celebrate when the temperature starts to get below 40 degrees and the building decides that it's time to turn on the... You see... It makes a lot of noise. It clanks and it rattles and it clanks and it rattles. And initially, a long time ago, I decided to inform my listeners about that. Because it would come on when I was recording. And I know that if if the mic is picking up my voice, it's definitely picking up the... And I didn't want people to think that, you know, I had somebody in bondage up here or like a spooky, spooky ghost in chains. Like... Christmas Carol, but on Halloween. No, 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 it's not a ghost. It's just the... And then once the... Gets going, it goes all day and all night. So if my little tap, tap, tap on the wall is gonna bother you, just wait till you deal with the cling, clang, clang of the... Because the cling, clang, clang of the... Goes on 24 hours a day. They're going to lose their fucking minds, and I love it. And it's all due to the... And of course, my longtime listeners of the show know that for one episode every year, I celebrate by playing the... Sound clip. Ad nauseum. So the game is that I play the... As often as I possibly can. So much that I even start to annoy myself. And the game is to see how many times I can play before my listeners rise up and murder me. And so far, they haven't yet. 
because it turns out they love the Steamy. Almost as much as I love the Steamy. game. So not only does Steamy. bring me joy, also brings them suffering. And now this year is some wonderful, miraculous bonus. I can sleep a little easier knowing that I've not only annoyed my listeners, but also that the Steamy. is driving my asshole neighbors crazy. Now you might sit there and wonder, what kind of sick, twisted game is that? Well, I'll tell you, dear listener. It's a pajama game. All right, so I'm not Mr. Mack, and I'm not John Hausman on the beach of the fog. And I can't weave a greater tale. But you know what? He didn't have musical theater backing up. But I think it's time for us to switch gears and bring in my guests and talk about the fog. Now, before I get going, I just want to point something out. Tara Gardner, longtime listener. It's her first time guesting on the show. And I found out... 30 seconds before we started recording, that I had been pronouncing her name wrong for 11 goddamn years. And so, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, this gave me an idea. I present to you now the rules for the very first Scream Queens episode drinking game. Every time I say Tara instead of Tara, drink. Every time I hold out the vowel in Tara because I'm starting to say it wrong, and then I have to think about it for a long, so it comes out like this. Tara. Whenever you hear me do that, drink. Every time Tara says, well, you know what happened in the book? Drink. And every time Michael K. Lewin laughs till he squeaks, drink. Those are the rules of the game. And without any further ado, let's listen to the trailer and talk about The Fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now it has returned. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something evil came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Who's there? The fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it. We're all cursed. There's no water getting here, but something off a cold pin. I think I'll go to Vancouver now. Where's the fog now? Well, it should be right outside my door now. Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door! Someone listen to me! Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. Stay away from the fog. 
creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Leigh as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. The Fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you. That was a foghorn. Because it's this being October, it's still John Carpenter month. Or should I say, for this episode, it's John Carpenter, Deborah Hill month. Because for these certain movies, you can't have John Carpenter without Deborah Hill because she was fabulous. And what am I babbling about? I don't know. The movie that we're here to talk about is the 1980 atmospheric classic, The Fog. And there's no fun to be lost in a fog bank by yourself. No, sir. So I figured I got, you know, my two guides to help me out. Two very special guests. And the first one. Well, she's a longtime listener of the show. She is my favorite volunteer. Whenever I need somebody to help out, she's like, ah, so I, mm, very special person right over here. You know, getting, getting all the special coot. I got, I'm babbling. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> and to top it all off, she's from Canada, which is my favorite place on the planet right now. That won't let me in. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please, and my, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my GNCs, wherever you may be, please put your hands together and give a polite Canadian welcome to the fabulous Miss Tara Gardner. Ahoy, gather round, children, for a drunk captain to tell you a ghost story. Again? Is my mom here? <laughs> It's the 70s. Everyone in this movie is drunk, like, 24-7. That's pretty much. Pretty, well, it was the 70s. Everybody was drunk. Well, 80, but we all know decades turn on the three. It shot in 1979. It's totally valid. So how are you doing, Tara? I'm pretty good. How are things up in Canada? You know, that country that actually has their shit together. It's doing okay. Flailing around at things. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I understand you don't want to gloat because that would be rude. It would. We're doing so much better. We're going to kick in all the COVID. All right. So we'll let you think about how rude that was not to be rude. I'm so sorry. Well, I introduced my next guest. So <laughs> my beautiful screamers, you'll remember him. He was here to talk about stage fright last Halloween. He crept in a while back to help out with Friday the 13th Part 8. He's my fellow photo mate, and I've known him for 35 days. God damn year, so we got dirt, and it's going to be really hard for us not to just squawk like birds at each other for the next hour and a half. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my GNCs, wherever you may be, please put your hands together and welcome to the Scream Queen's microphone, the very tall, very gangly, Mr. Michael K. Loon. Yarg, mateys, how you doing? The pirate horror. (laughs) (laughs) Gather ye round while I tell ye a ghost story, right after I open me up my AARP card. Oh, yeah, AARP. AARP. Oh, the sweet, sweet booty of savings you'll be getting in the AARP. (laughs) Yar. I saved 25 doubloons. At the Golden Buffet. At the Golden Buffet. <laughs> We're old. 
This movie has it all. Leper ghosts, pirate ghosts, small children inappropriately <laughs> sneaking out at night. Tom Atkins without a mustache. It's just, it should never happen. None of that should happen, but it didn't. It's all on film and we're going to talk about it. So, Michael, how are you? What's going on in quarantine and Michael K. Lunan? I'm... Uh, I'm all right. I'm, you know, locked in my apartment like everybody else. And, you know. Michael went here yes. with his mom and dad for a while. When yes, that's scary. <laughs> that's where I am. Yeah. Well, you know what? His dad's a doctor. I would go there, too. Oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. That lasted for uh, five months. And then I, you know, had to quarantine from the quarantine. <laughs> it's good to have a nice remember of why you became an adult and exactly like i don't know about you tara but like i moved in i mean it was sort of by accident i went home and then just never left because the world imploded but like within seconds it was right back to the sandbox it was like i was in high school again i was like guys i'm a hundred years old (laughs) i'm a a full-fledged adult with my own problems and you know what none of the listeners care about them Thanks a lot, Patrick. Thanks a lot, listeners. I care very deeply. Do you know? They're like, listen, we know we we are not not paying <laughs> to listen to this guy have a therapy session online <laughs> about his parental problems. Please, please tell us about the, about the leopard pirates that aren't lepers. And how are they a symbol for your life? I was going to say, I am going to apply every theme of this movie to my own personal problems. <laughs> The fog is the disease. Get inside, lock your doors, or it's going to bang it down and with a hook, gouge your eyes out. These really old people will be dragging you back to some shit that you did a (laughs) hundred years ago. Do you remember that time? (laughs) You said you were going in the movies and your mother and I waited up till 4 a.m. and we thought you were dead. And that's the fog. Good night, everybody. <laughs> okay, so the actual thing that we're talking about is the movie The Fog. And you know, since we have a little tradition here on Scream Queens, and Michael's done it twice, and actually you've done it once, but that's enough. Tara's never done it. So, Tara, I'm going to ask you to give a nice tight back of the DVD plot summary of the movie The Fog. And Tara, the clock starts now! On Antonio Bay's Centennial, a mysterious fog comes into town, and what the people don't know is that in that fog are spirits that are seeking revenge for the crimes that were committed against them by the town's forefathers. Their goal is to have six must six die as revenge, but they go after other people other than the six. It's kind of confusing. Sold. Go with it. Run it up. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> It is the part they're like six must die, yet they keep kind of going after. They're not very efficient in their planet. I mean, there's a whole ton of people in the town square and they're going after these lone stragglers. What the hell? I've got my I've got my I've got my headcanon theory on that one. Okay, but it's like if they're going after descendants of the people who did this to them, why do they go after Stevie Wayne's son? He just moved from Chicago a year ago. Because they also want a stomach pounder and a Coke. What is nobody knows he made it up. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the fog. Now, since this movie is old and most people have seen it a billion times already, I'm not going to do my normal thing and go like moment by moment and pop up. We're going to talk talk in some broader strokes. Now, one of the things that I love about this movie is that it instantly instills you with the sense of mood, like from the first piano key stroke. When the score starts before the title. It weaves this little magic spell around you, kind of like a fog. <laughs> Metaphor. Metaphor. I remember, I remember Newsday, the little on the newspaper was like, it's a very atmospheric movie. Ha ha. 
They actually wrote that in the review. Ha they ha. Wrote, ha ha. <laughs> they wrote ha ha. <laughs> the journalistic brilliance of Newsday. I just love the mood it sets up. It just it it feels very much like a story that you would tell around the campfire, which I'm sure it's not a coincidence. That's the way this movie opens with John Hausman. Oh yeah, it's very much like you almost expect him to then afterwards tell the story that you see. Yes. Like they even have that lovely split diopter shot. They actually have a few split diopter shots that are not your typical versions of that. Like there's the the watch and then later on there's the gas pump that falls mm-hmm. down. Because usually it's like two people in the foreground. Ooh, tension. And th- these are just moodiness. Here you go. For a long Enjoy. time, people lied to me and said that John Hausman came in and did that in one take. It's a lie. That's a lie. Okay. <laughs> I watched the blooper. Wait, there's a. It's a great shot. It's like they're like and action. He's like closes the watch and just sits there. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Why are there these children around me? <laughs> One of the things that struck me this time, in, in a bigger picture kind of a thing, like when I tried to, as an adult, watch these things, I'm like, how does this tie into modern day? This whole movie is about finding out that your history is a lie. Mm. I had that written down. We just had Columbus Day. Yeah. Now Indigenous And I'm still trying to convince day. my parents, like, no, 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 no. That shit they taught us, that's a lie. That's a straight up lie. That, no, no, no. He didn't discover shit. He got lost. He got lost and then murdered everybody. Murdered everybody and never set foot. Yeah. On the continental United States at all. So it's all bullshit. Yeah, I wrote just like really like better to acknowledge the truth than celebrate a yeah. lie. Because that's basically what the priest is saying. He's like, what the hell? These are the murderers. The cast is bananas, and one of the most amazing pits of casting is that they got Mark Twain to play Father Exposition. Our celebration tonight is a travesty. We're honoring murderers. Was there ever such a thing as a young Hal Holbrook? I know. <laughs> he has been 60 years old for like 50 years. <laughs> he was a baby. He was 10. He was 60. And they just stayed there. He turned 60 on his third birthday. Well, that's what having sex with Dixie Carter will do to you. It just mm. preserves you. Just <laughs> the life out of you. <laughs> no, just, no, preserved. He is preserved. He's like, he's like 95 years old, I think. He's sleeping in Tupperware every <laughs> night. Somebody burnt me. <laughs> <laughs> the Tupperware, that is. I don't know why he's from Long Island now. One of the, this is one of my favorite kind of horror movies. I have a soft spot for ghosty stories that happen in creepy seaside towns i don't know what it is coastal towns i even did a special episode way way back where it was all featured on widow's watch songs mm. you know like jackie by Sinead o'connor or jennifer yeah, by the yeah. eurythmics or in its own way major tom the things like that i love mm-hmm. I, something about that that always fascinates me it's just somebody waiting forever <laughs> for somebody to come back it just makes me happy and this so this ties into one of my favorite things in the whole world the thought did occur to me i'm like you know what Tying it back to Columbus Day, if Native Americans, the ghost of Native Americans came up and started slaughtering everybody, I'd be like, good for them. <laughs> good for them. Yeah, it is weird to kind of like have certain movies where when you think about it later, you're just like, no, they were right. They, they should be killing everyone. I read a book recently where they're like this one character who murdered people. I'm like, no, she, sh- she should have done that. I get it. Good for her. <laughs> good for her. Good for her. That's exactly what I thought at the end of the movie. <laughs> when that Good finally, for you, Blake. When, when that, when that, <laughs> Good for you. Good for them. 
good for them. When Blake and his ghosts disappear, then they're like, you know what? You know what? <laughs> We're actually going to have to come and get that sixth person. Do you okay. Mind? We're jumping way ahead, but I have to address this right now. Listener TJ commented on my post last night that I was watching the movie. And she said, you know, it doesn't make any sense that Father Malone grabs that giant cross that's made of gold and hands it to Blake. That would be too heavy for anybody to pick up on their own. And I had to think about it a minute. I'm like, I had that thought. But you're very smart too. But you didn't say it. I said it first. And TJ said it before me. So you a third. You a third. You get the bronze star. Okay? TJ, you and I are on the same wavelength. Go ahead, Patrick. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm about to derail. <laughs> because I said, okay. You see what happened is they gave, they, he gave Blake the gold cross. And they go away. And then the ghosts are like, oh, they got all the tinfoil off and realized there's just chocolate underneath. And that's when they come back. <laughs> It was just a really big piece of Easter cake. Or it's just like gold plated. <laughs> what? This is chocolate. I mean, I'm not going to give it back. It's not even What is this? This is some waxy bullshit. No. Wax. <laughs> Six now. Just really big guilt. <laughs> So this cast is bananas. I do enjoy the cast. One of the things that I enjoy about John Carpenter movies, he always populates even the smallest roles with fantastic character actors. Yeah. So everybody crackles in this movie, which I very much enjoy. I, I, love, I love the fact that Janet Lee, is, I believe, is married to Buck Flower, of all people. <laughs> yeah. How'd that courtship go? <laughs> oh, you want a fun thing? In the book, she had an affair with the character Nick at some point. Uh. So her and Tom Atkins, apparently. Uh, can you yeah. blame her? <laughs> no. Maybe he had a mustache. He had the mustache. Time. Forget it. Tom Atkins is in this movie, Sans Mustache. And it's very strange. It's disturbing. That's where it's paralyzed. The man, the myth, the mustache. Apparently, Michael K. Lewin has it for <laughs> I took it. I have it. I, he, has, he has Tom Atkins' mustache today, which is why I can't get through anything. I'm just looking at him going, <sighs> <laughs> Oh, my thanks. <laughs> No, because he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis as a hitchhiker at the beginning of the movie. And she gets in, and one of the first things she says to him is she's like, Can I ask you something? Sure. Are you weird? If he had the mustache, she would have been like, take me now. Instead, she waited five minutes. I mean. <laughs> oh, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. I've got some issues. I've got some issues. Gets in the car. Right, 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 right. Beer, hands her a beer. That, that's Just driving down a coastal road, sipping a beer. Different times. <laughs> one of the things I did not know about this movie, which I only found out watching the uh, one of the making of things last night, was that there was an original cut of this movie that was really short and not scary at all. And they were filmed like everything that's scary in the, this print now was added like a month before the movie was supposed to hit theaters. Oh, yeah. The mortuary scene. That wasn't the, in the original cut. Adrian Barbeau on the on the top of the lighthouse. And I'm not sure. No, the one uh, dead body did fall on Jamie Lee Curtis. It fell differently, though. Because both those scenes are missing from the book, and it's based on an Including earlier screenplay. one of the things that people don't like about the movie, and I like it, is that the fact that the opening credits go on for 10 minutes. But it sets everything up of what's happening yeah, in the that's town. Yeah, that's what he said. He's like, we want to do the opening credits really slow so that it lulls you right. that this is not going to be a fast-paced movie. Right. What do, you think, what do you think about that first segment? Like that whole, th I mean, the, people don't like it. The beach or the credits or both? No, I, the stuff at the beach, I think is fantastic. I think, I, it, like I said, it sets the mood. It's John Houseman. You can't get a better storyteller. Yeah, true. Yeah. Like he's barely awake and he's nailing this story. Like you get swept away instantly into this wonderful story. 
And that wonderful shot when he's done, it just kind of pans up and you just see the, the coastline. Like, oh, this is good. This is good stuff. This is magical stuff. But then there's that whole thing that we learn about. Midnight to one belongs to the dead. And there's all this weird shit happening around, t- around town that they don't explain. At all. And they take a long time with it. It's the whole opening credit sequence. I always kind of saw it as like they can only really kill on that boat that first night. They couldn't really make it far into town. It was almost like they were reaching out and seeing what they could mm. do. And it's just like flexing and it's something waking yeah, I'll up. That. I'll take that. It, it is strange. I do. Li- I mean, I like the weird stuff happening around town because I'm going omens importance. It's your warning, town. Yeah. This warning. Uh, so apparently this was shot just near where the uh, 1906 San Francisco earthquake fault line was. So you got your own earthquake. If you're, like if everything in town is telling you to get the fuck out now, nobody's listening. I enjoy it. But it is yeah. weird. That's like you have one hour to kill as many people as you can, and then you have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's like reverse, it's like reverse parenting. Okay, as soon as the streetlights go off, you have to be home. <laughs> <laughs> I like the the opening sequence. I, I thought it was very. I mean, it's it's what it's what you said it was. It it sets the mood. It's very atmospheric, mm-hmm. and it sets up that this is normally a very quiet, you know, coastal town where nothing happens. Yeah, as as Nancy Loomis says, you know, the town sits around for a hundred years, and then one night the whole place falls apart. Right. And there are just like not things that you could really kind of explain, like a very localized earthquake. Nancy Loomis's chair just going across yeah. suddenly. It's like, okay, maybe your TV, there was a power surge, but stuff like that. You're all the like, cars start the honking at once, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Randomly, the dogs start barking, mm. which actually when that happened in the movie, my dogs started barking. <laughs> Monkey see, doggy do. I'm not happy with that analogy. As soon as it came out of my mouth, man. Doggy too. Let's try that one again. <laughs> She's like, I can be louder. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> and when when Halloween H2O came out, much ado was made about Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee appearing for the first time ever together. Oh. They're in the church together. together, Yeah, but they don't technically have any scenes together. They never talk to each other. Yeah, they don't talk to each other. Embarrassing me. Don't talk to me right now. I'm with my boyfriend with no mustache. (laughs) I just, I just out of just, I had, I got a great sense of glee at the scene where was it on the boat where she's talking to no mustache and she's like, uh, "Now, yeah, no, where you are? You sorry you met me? Are you sorry you picked me up?" And he's like, "Why? Because weird things happen to me." And all I could think of was my psychopathic brother, brother goes on a murderous rampage trying to kill me. You know, like, <laughs> just. I wrote down, it's not all about you, Elizabeth. <laughs> and then the best jump scare ever, because it has the fake Tara, out. A few months ago, we watched some crazy Canadian movie about rats. You and I. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and in that, the two leads hook up. And then he follows her around for the rest of the movie going, why are you following, like, to work and shit? Like, why Why did you go to work with her? And then she takes his kid? Yeah. But she kidnaps his kid, but that's at the point right now. But I'm going, I'm going the same thing with Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm like, so you're a one-night stand, honey. Go. <laughs> one night means Shit's getting weird in this night. town. Get out of town. Yeah. Was it that good? Because it wasn't that long. Here's something else I just, <laughs> something I realized. Okay, for the la- this last episode, I talked about the, movie somebody's watching me which means that these 
three movies happened in succession. It was, you made Somebody's Watching Me, then Halloween, then The Fog. And I realized these three movies have something in common. John Carpenter likes really short sex scenes. <laughs> There's a really short one in, in Somebody's Watching Me, which makes sense because it's made for TV. But Halloween, like right at the beginning, Judith Myers, her boyfriend comes in, he goes up the stairs and like five seconds later, he goes back down and they're done. And he's putting his clothes on as he comes downstairs. So he apparently undressed. Yeah, exactly. Redressed. In this, movie, in this movie right here, Tom Atkins picks up Jamie Lee Curtis. They get in this weird car accident. After the car accident happened, you hear Adrian Barbo on the radio as Stevie Wayne says, it's exactly 12 minutes after midnight here on KAB. So it's 12 minutes after midnight. And then like the, the next thing that happens is at 1 p.m. When, his, when the ghosts are knocking on his door, I'm like, so, okay, wait a minute. So, oh, I didn't even catch that. That's hilarious. <laughs> they drove to his place. They had sex. And they're like in the post-coital glow. <laughs> like not even the post-coital, like, like pe- way past that like she's got her art book out like this is how long was this and like you gotta think they just had a car accident they had to recuperate from the car accident are you okay are you okay are you okay is the car gonna run what are we gonna do do you want me to drop me off take you home i'll take you home do you want a drink you want, you want to put me that's all this shit that has to happen before you have sex and none of it is asking her name because <laughs> that gets found out after <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> had he had the mustache, they would have been going all night. And they never would have noticed anything happened. They would have been like, "What?" They would come out the next day, like, "Where's everybody? Where's Mrs. Cobritz? What happened?" <laughs> oh my god! What is wrong with this DJ? She's lost her mind. <laughs> I enjoy that he has like a carpeted purple side table for his radio and a grandfather clock. Because classy. <laughs> <laughs> all right so who else we got in the movie okay of course I've, we haven't we've talked around her but at the center of the movie like the glue holding all these pieces together is adrian barbeau as stevie wayne which i didn't realize this is her first movie movie yeah everything else was tv before this excuse me tv and broadway oh yes thank you very much because there was worse things she could do than i got nothing <laughs> <laughs> go with a boy or two I mean, she eventually became Catwoman, so... But to have sex with a guy with no mustache never to over be 15 seconds. <laughs> Stevie Wayne, your nightlife. She's going from like six till, 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 till dawn. <laughs> Stevie Wayne goes all night. Thank you very much. What I love about this, I love this whole... I love the whole... The, the, the radio station in the lighthouse. Great setup. Oh, it is. It's, it's central. Setup. It has... You immediately know who she is. Who her character is. That she is starting this station. It's... She's flirty with everyone, but does not, it is not interested in starting anything. The fog bank has moved due west and probably missed the ship entirely. Well, my gauges must be wrong. I've got a wind blowing due east. Now, what kind of a fog moves against the wind? You got me. I'm not so sure I want you. You're just a voice on the phone. And you're just a voice on the radio. We'd make a perfect couple. You let me take you to dinner tonight, I'll prove it to you. Sorry, Dan. My idea of perfection is a voice on the phone. Yeah, it's true. You have a you have a you have a strong female character with no romantic attachments whatsoever, which is kind of cool. I just I just wanted to point out the 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 oddity of the radio broadcasting station at the bottom of the cliff. That also happens to have a view of the entire town. Except for those, yeah, I know. <laughs> that just bothered me a little bit. <laughs> why, like, why are you walking down the stairs, Adrian? <laughs> 324 stairs. <laughs> 324 of them. Take 83. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, seriously. But no, I think she's great. I think she's great in this. She's fantastic. Just a wonderful, smooth sound. She loves cool and she's fabulous. She's fabulous. That she really grounds the movie, which it needs because all these loose other all these loose thread characters. None of the other stories on their own could have really pulled the movie through. Not at all. I mean, the Tom Atkins one could have sort of, but then Maybe. it's just the detective story. It's the one that is most noticing something's wrong. For me, the, my favorite pairing of the movie is Janet Lee and Nancy Lewis. <laughs> As the mayor and her bitchy assistant, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy Loomis has that has a characteristic in everything. It's just her voice. Everything she sa- says sounds bitchy anyway. So this is a perfect. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Meaning, meaning, screw you. My next project: restoration of the Morgantown Road Cemetery. It's historical. Our ancestors are buried there. It's going to cost a lot. Come on, Sandy. So, this town should be proud of its past. But trying to get anyone involved in community affairs is like pulling teeth. Better get the estimates ready for the council meeting next month. Yes, ma'am. Sandy, you're the only person I know who can make yes, ma'am sound like screw you. Yes, ma'am. And by the way, if you want to find the gay in the movie, ding, ding, there she is. (laughs) If you want more of that... In the book, which I'm going to keep mentioning, her and Elizabeth, which is Jamie Lee Curtis's character, actually meet up and start talking. So when they see each other again at the church, Elizabeth is like, oh, it's that girl. Yay. So in my head, she sticks around, moves in with Sandy, and they become a couple. Because <laughs> in the book, everyone's a terrible person except for Sandy. In my mind, she hooks up with the mayor. With the, mayor. <laughs> her, the mayor's husband's dead. She's like, hey, I'll drive you home. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Uh, that's my favorite parrot. Uh, who else is there? Well, of course, we have Mark Twain as, as uh, Father Exposition. <laughs> Father Exposition. Father Malone. <laughs> exactly. Wrong coast. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mark Twain. Father Mark Twain. Ah. <laughs> oh, we were talking uh, about Hal What Holbrook. were we talking yes. about? Oh, Hal, yeah. Hal Holbrook. Uh, as he, Hal Holbrook's playing Father Malone. And I do enjoy a boozy priest in a movie. Because life. <laughs> Unapologetically boozy. One of my favorite exchanges of dialogue is, of course, between Janet Lee, Hal Holbrook, and Nancy Loomis. When Janet Lee says, Are you going to give the benediction tonight, Father? Antonio Bay has a curse on it. Do we take that as a no? <laughs> <laughs> Sassy. She's over it. She's just over this whole fucking town. Oh, yeah. So basically, the whole thing with him is that he's, which I don't really understand, his father was also a priest. <laughs> And his grandfather. Right? Did they ever say they were they Catholic? They didn't, but do, do, do other people say father? Do the others say reverend? Ooh. Or pastor? Yeah, you're right. Um, Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Referencing the book. Oh, we have to reference the book. The I book. do. The book. Look, I, I spent book. a whole 53 cents on this. I'm going to get my money out of this. <laughs> In the meantime, the rest of us will move on with the podcast. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoy it because I've known my altar boy servers. I've known plenty of boozy priests in my time. I'm like, yeah, huh? They're all booze. Uh-huh. What the hell else are they uh-huh. going to do? Hello, you, the, the whole you, business centers on booze. It centers on wine. <laughs> there was a picture on Facebook from, pardon us for a second, Tara, from Chaminade of like, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas or just Saturday of like one of the brothers in the residence in front of a dining table covered with bottles of wine. <laughs> it's for church. It's for lunch. Like 
<laughs> my mother's like, that's why I sent them to that school. They teach them right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in the book, it does say reverend. Okay. Ah. Well, he's following okay. alone here. And yeah, during the whole uh, uh, portent of omens that happens, this giant rock falls out of the wall. The rock falls out of the sky, but it turns out it came from the wall at the level of his head right next to him. Well, Michael, that's because it wasn't a rock. <laughs> it was a rock lobster. But a lobster. <laughs> if everyone had had matching towels in Antonio Bay, none of this would ever happen. Just got to say, as someone who actually has to deal with old paper a lot, that paper should have been a lot more fucked up by then. <laughs> you know what? You know what? They were working with a budget for under a million dollars for this movie. It looks like <laughs> it was written in Sharpie. It does. And it, there's a mistake. on the upper. It's like the Journal of Father William Malone, 19... 19- <laughs> I just brought another page. No, we don't have enough tea to stain it. We have. <laughs> <laughs> I already drank the tea. Well, apparently what I read in IMDb and several other sources confirm this, that when he starts flipping through it, if you pause it, one of the whole pages is, I went to film school for this and here I am having to write bullshit in a book. Pussy, 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 beaver, beaver, titty, titty. <laughs> Oh, I have to go find that. <laughs> I have to go find that. I like, I like old Father Maloney. <laughs> also, we got a cameo from, from the uh, director, John Carpenter, here as well. Who? Do you know what he say? His name is Bennett. The church, he's supposed to be cleaning up for the church. What John Carpenter says, his character's full name is? Is this what? in the book? Probably. <laughs> I could go find it. Bennett Tramer. Yes. It's Ben Tramer. <laughs> Ben Traber was was the boy that Laurie Strode was obsessing about in Halloween. And then got killed by oh a car in Halloween too because I of dismissed that. None of that ever <laughs> Well, depending on which franchise which franchise branch you go with, it may or may not have happened at all. <laughs> what choose your own adventure of the series. But yeah, you know, but there's a lot of that. John Carpenter <laughs> does this a lot like uh, uh Nick. Tom Atkins is named Nick Castle, who was the act the stunt guy who played the sh- Michael Myers in the first film. Coberts, Buck- I think, as well as another name he's used before or someone. It's exec- an all frequent executive producer. We brought that up on the Somebody's Watching Me episode, which yes. clearly didn't listen to. No, I did. I just am crap at names. Hey, hey, Richard, thanks for executive producing my film. I'm going to name them a character after your mother and kill it. <laughs> uh, and uh, Buck Flowers' character is named Tommy Wallace, as in Tommy Lee Wallace, who worked on this film and then directed Halloween 2 and Halloween 3. So. And was uh, Nancy Loomis's first husband, I think. That's right. Yeah, so yeah, we get all the backstory from him that we figure out that this whole celebration that's happening, what's happening? What's what's going on with the celebration? Like the basic celebration, not the story behind it. The basic celebration that the people think is going on is that it is the town centennial when they actually became a township from just sort of a conglomeration of really drunk fishermen. That's basically it. And there's a big hoopty dude tonight. It's the 21st of April. Oh my God. Everything just makes sense about that opening scene now with John Hausman. Okay, because it's really weird the kids are out at midnight on the beach with this old man telling them ghost stories. And I made a joke in one of the early recordings <laughs> that it just, like, after the camera pans off, a picture of some mom popping up and being like, ah, oh, thank you so much, Mr. Mackin. Uh, maybe next time we can teach the Weebelows how to tie some square knots. I just realized, if today's the 21st of April, then that beach party was happening on 420. <laughs> Mr. Mackin is stoned. <laughs> Hold on, wait, wait, wait. And then there's a boat, okay? <laughs> and it was a fire. <laughs> and it was a fire. 
Everybody drowns. <laughs> no, no, wait, you guys. <laughs> He's just like stuffing s'mores in his face. <laughs> I'm ruining the movie. Little kids, I snuck out of my house for this. <laughs> <laughs> We're scared. <laughs> We're any adults besides this guy. We're eight years old and we are out at midnight. Could you please just take us home? <laughs> and then there's one, there's the one kid, hey old man, quit bogarting the hey. joint, passing on. The 70s truly was the era of like free range children. It, it was. I grew up in it. We can verify this, Michael. We were just letting, we were pretty much on oh, our yeah. own. Our parents took us to yeah. Action Park for Christ's sake. <laughs> Oh, good God. Oh, actually. Action Park is how to get rid of your kids if you're, if you're, if you're from a pro life family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we took it to Action Park and he died. So sad. <laughs> tangent. Tangent. Okay, so, so Michael, what actually happened? What's the true story? Because we didn't talk about this. What? Oh, the true story is that 100 years ago, there was a leper colony nearby. And they, uh, Blake, the head or the leader of said the colony, money. who had mm-hmm. the money, um, wanted to just settle Just one name, them. like Cher. They just want- <laughs> Cher, just Blake, with an exclamation point. Blake and jazz hands. Um, I guess they were on an yeah. island off the yeah. coast, and they wanted to move nearby to this fledgling town. Yeah. And the, uh, I guess, six... Magistrates of founders of said fledgling town decided instead of helping them to make that relocation, they were going to sabotage their schooner, sink it, and then go steal the gold, which Which they they did. did. And here we are, a hundred years later, and revenge is about to happen. Well, here's something I just thought of. Didn't didn't they say they didn't Father Exposition say that they used the gold to fund the town? They said that, and then later on they said it was stolen. He stole the intention it. was to use it to make them a township and build his church. That's how he was sort of brought into it. But he was so racked with guilt after the church was built. He, after he got what he wanted, stole the rest of it, melted it into a giant cross. So that magically only weighs twenty. And apparently, he knows how to smith that, and then hid it in the walls. Chocolate gold. <laughs> but they still found this. But the town founding still went forward. Without the dough. I guess maybe as soon as they had the church, they kind of used that as leverage. It's not important. I guess. Who knows? It's it's not important, but it makes me go, wait, what? Well, here's the thing, though. Do you know that it's based on a true story? I had heard that. I had heard that, now that you mention it. It's the sinking of the... It's not the flirt. It was a schooner. It was like 1805. It happened off the coast of Santa Barbara in a little little town just around there. Uh, This boat was originally a... And opium was was used for for bringing opium from China. It wasn't doing that anymore, but it was bringing uh-huh. all these high end supplies to the California Gold Rush era to sell to the people who had got who had uh-huh. got rich. So it was all you know Chinese silks and and porcelain and you know very very exotic things from China. And the boat mistook a fire for a signal fire. It was just a fire fire, and they ran into rocks, and oh. it sank. Not everybody died, but you know like the captain and a bunch of the crew got away. And while the captain and most of the crew went to go for help, six of the people stayed behind. And when the captain and the crew came back, the six people were vanished, as was all of the all, all of the, the booty. booty. The thing is, like all of their stuff was still there. Like all their all their like survival supplies, their clothes, their blankets, like food, water was all still sitting there. So 
and no bodies were ever found. So it's been a was a mystery what happened to them. And uh, John Carpenter on the DVD says that the people of the town stole all the gold and stuff that was on the boat, which according to the history books is not what happened because the area was not populated at all except for Native Americans. And for many uh, years, there was a certain point where people were researching the indigenous people of the area. And they said, why did these people have porcelain pots with blue flowers on it like you would have in China? How is this happening? And they, it all right. just came together. Of course, what this movie has taught us is that you can't trust the history book. So nobody knows what the fuck happened. Nobody knows what the fuck happened. Because <laughs> the first story is nearly there. Yeah. Because he says it's not a actually. campfire yeah. distracted them. Yeah. By like it's by accident, right. uh -huh. finger quotes. And they were sailors. There was no mention of them being leprying. Yeah. No. yeah. When it's it's like it's one of those. It's the story, but with the, the edges sort of rounded and made all nice for toddlers. Tragic. They were coming to join us, and they died. And we celebrate their. You know, we commemorate their loss right. tonight, even right. though we totally caused it. Yeah, they just y'all deserve it. Y'all deserve it. I do enjoy like, this first scene on the boat that happened with uh, with the three guys on the boat. I, I that whole scene is very creepy. I like that very scene. Very creepy. And it wasn't yeah. that wasn't like that way at all in the original cut. There was no ghosts, there was no killings. It just was all implied. Everybody just disappeared into the fog. Which is one of the problems with the movie. Like, what's in the fog? We don't <laughs> get it. Right. I just like the one guy staring out. There's no fog bank. There's no fog flower. <laughs> There's a fog bank. I think my favorite part of that sequence is when they go out on the deck and you just see the the sails of the schooner going by. It's like, damn, damn. that's good. Yeah, and it's, that's it's really good. right there. It's right there. Yeah. Because sometimes that actually does happen where boats come across just like an abandoned boat yeah. out of nowhere. Well, yeah. And like that just must be terrifying. Just being like, the hell. And what yeah. I noticed too, I mean, one of the one of the problems that they because the movie was not was a moderate success. And mm -hmm. the studio wasn't happy with it, but it's, they kind of got caught in the changing times. You know, the, the slasher boom was about to come in and people already had a taste right. for gore, which is why they added in all these extra scenes. But I also give them credit. You don't see a drop of blood. Nope. nope. In any of these kills. Nope. nope. You see a bit of a maimed corpse, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and implied sort of shadowing. Yeah. And lots of, lots of gooey ripping noises. Which I find so much more effective. But it's, it's very effective because you think you saw it. Like, oh, it's right. on it, but yeah. you didn't see anything. It's well done. But no, it missed its mark on that. I think one of the scariest, one of the scariest kills was the, the weather guy at the weather station where, you, I mean, you saw, you know, Blake's hand come in, you saw like the weapon. And then the next thing you saw was a shot from within and you, all you saw was yeah. him struggling. In and Adrian sort of Barbeau just like losing her mind. Here's another. Here's yeah. another thing that John Carpenter likes to do, based on these three movies, based on Halloween. Somebody's watching me, and this movie. John Carpenter likes people witnessing murders via telephone. All yeah. three, all three <laughs> movies have it. Well, it's that helplessness, yeah. as long along with the fear. It's I know this is happening, and I can't do anything. Yeah. And she is like just trying to get him to close the door, and he's just like, oh no, it's okay. Here's one of the things I have to give her credit for that. She makes connections with people that aren't there. Like she, you feel connections coming from, coming off of Stevie Wayne's character, and you know none of those people were on set to feed her her lines. It was some PA right. or yeah. whatever, and you but you would never know. And it's I mean, all the over only the person phone. that she has a scene with is her son. Yeah, and that even just feels like really there. It's again like her job and her just communicate everything. Like you get one pan across these photos which shows like her and a guy and a baby and her and the guy at a station and then her alone buying this station. 
and all that suddenly, you know, okay, she's widowed. She couldn't stay where she was because of the emotion of it. She's here. She only has her son. Since we're on her, one of the things that people hate about this movie, and actually I used to not like it, but then again, I first saw this movie on HBO a million years ago. It used to run all the time. Now that I watched it on a much bigger screen, I really appreciated the cinematography in this film, particularly all those scenes that people hate with her driving to the radio station, listening to the the called promos, the promo, the promo things, and then that long walk down to the, the lighthouse. That her only choice is to stay on the air. She can't leave to help anyone. Every frame of this is just telling you how alone. And there's nowhere to go. Yeah, she's got 324 steps to run up if there's a problem. And there's a problem. And the other thing, I, I'm just looking at the sea, like this, the shots of the sea are amazing. You know, with the light, lighthouse with the sea behind it. So I'm like, look at that. She's like all alone. And the sea is as smooth as glass. Oh, you asshole. She should take <laughs> off her shoes and stockings and paddle. Yes, yes, the very thing. <laughs> Going to nod and smile. Pirates of Penzance joke, number two. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Except for mermaids. It's the very place for mermaids. Michael and I were in a production of that in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no mermaids, though. That ain't the place for mermaids. <laughs> yeah, but never heard about that. Hi, Marjorie. <laughs> She's probably listening like, fuck you, do. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> okay, back to the movie. No, but it's all gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Like, the shots of the city, it does look like it's made out of glass. Like, it looks like a painting. And I was seeing it on the big screen. Yeah, like, yeah that's what this movie was meant to be seen. Not on a teeny tiny 1980s TV. Going along with that, how they got the fog to actually move. I was just going to say, I thought the fog effects were extraordinary. Uh-huh. Considering it's 1979. This is the before time, before anything else. Like, they had to, with fans and fog and models and blocking yeah. stuff out. And one scene with reverse. Because I'm sure, Michael, at some point in your fabulous career, you too have worked on a show with fog machines. <laughs> you know how hard that shit smell. is to control. It's like, it's perfect, it's perfect. No, 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 too much. Too much. And then it's ruined. Stop it, stop it. <laughs> there was an, like, you might as well stop the show because nobody can see anything. <laughs> and it happens in a second. Getting a blast of that stuff in the face. <gasps> Especially if they, use the, if they ran out of the regular shit and have to use like coconut scented. <laughs> <laughs> not good no but what what, uh, what i learned what i learned is that a lot of stuff that stuff was done with miniature uh, they yeah. built mini miniature scales of the town you can't tell and so it was in a controlled box so they were able to control how it moved and stuff and i also love the story how they got the idea for this yes john carpenter and deborah hill were on a trip to stonehenge oh and they said while they're at stonehenge like over there off in the distance was just this huge fog bank that looked like it was pulsing and it wasn't moving oh wow and john carpenter turned to deborah hill and said what the hell do you think is in there? <laughs> and that's the movie was born. And that's the movie. Yeah. And suddenly we're in the Pacific Northwest and there's a demon leper pirate ship. Sure. But then again, Deborah Hill's like, what would happen if we took a piece of this Stonehenge thing home and like put it in a Halloween mask? What would happen then? <laughs> All good things come from Stonehenge. I'm so sad. I got a t-shirt that said a, a Deborah Hill production and it just hasn't arrived oh. yet. I so wanted to wear it today. Oh, well, we'll fix it and post it. You <laughs> <Yep. laughs> can, can send me a picture if it comes before next Monday. I have um, everyone's a raging drunk in the book and it, everyone is super mean in the book. Like they made the characters actually really nice and likable in the movie. Like you can kind of get why Elizabeth is staying around with Nick because he's a nice guy. Um, and it was the best 15 seconds of her life. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, come on now. <laughs> it's got to be good if it was that. <laughs> he has a carpeted side table. What more do you want? <laughs> nothing says class. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, but like the weather guy is not even like 70s drunk. 
like raging drunk, raging drunk all the time. That's Charles Cipher's. All of his roles come off like he's drunk. No, even even in as Sheriff Loomis and Halloween, he kind of has this drunk edge to him. Yeah, but at least he comes off as like nice in this. Yeah, like that is the one major difference between the book and the movie is people are actually nice in the movie, and you want them to live. In the book, you're just like, yeah. I, I really. Uh. <laughs> There's one. Get him. I can't wait for fifty years later when it's the town septicentennial and they're doing a musical about this whole thing. <laughs> Red, white, and fog. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, that's what the Fog remake should have been. Come on now. <laughs> oh, that, oh, God, the remake is terrible. I saw the opening scene once. I didn't know what it was. And then it started. And I was like, I just went, oh, no. I, I tried. I lasted a half an hour because I love Selma Blair and she could do no wrong. Well, now she can. Now she can. She did this. She cashed that paycheck, girl. I hope it was worth it. OK, back to the movie. Where are we? I don't know if it was on this recording or what, but the best fake out jump scare on the boat when... Jamie Lee Curtis's character is talking to Tom Atkins and he's like telling this other story of something weird that has happened. And then one of the lockers just falls mm-hmm. and you think that's the scare. Yeah. And all, and all those are the like blueprinty things, the maps fall out, a bunch of maps. She's like, ah, maps. <laughs> just like, nice. Everything's been so quiet. And you're like, ah, oh yeah. Yeah. And then you get your scare. Yeah. I just love when it's just like the pacing and yeah. the planning of a jump scare. Just like at the beginning, they took their time with Tom Atkins long story. That was kind of a ripoff of the, of the, uh, Andrea Doria. I've already, I've also figured out his story. He's yeah. a little Mary Celeste too. Mary Celeste. That's what I was thinking of. Sorry. Andrea Doria just not was thinking Mary Celeste. Sorry. Thank you for correcting me, Tara. Like Tom, you do know none of that shit happened, that that was just a story that your dad was telling you. He was like, oh, no, I don't know. Oh, the doubloon's gone. <laughs> you believed him all these years as a bullshit story. <laughs> Although based on this movie, maybe not. Who knows? A doubloon. A doubloon. But like also in that story, you get a little bit of information of, yeah, people have been here. Their families, they don't leave because his dad was a fisherman in the same town. Well, what else are you going to do in that town? Drink. Fish, murder lepers. I don't know. There's a store. There's a church and an AM and an AM radio station. That's all there is to do. You can be the guy who cleans the store at night and drinks from all the bottles and puts it back, which immediately made me cringe. No one's been in the store for four years. <laughs> and the mercantile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the whole day goes by. We have this whole mystery for me, you know, uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins playing, you know, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, trying to find his missing friends on the boat that disappeared. Well, the boat didn't disappear, but everybody on the boat disappeared. <laughs> and they find one of his dead friends. You know, that was that second scare. First the maps fall out, then his dead friends with his eyes gouge out. Who somehow has spent a week or more in the water, even though it was one night. He was already retaining some. <laughs> <laughs> he just had too much salt. The lepers just made it worse. Don't shame him. So it's a lot of running around with them. And I do like the scene in the morgue, basically, because you don't know this until the credits roll by, that the doctor, the, the mortician, his name is Dr. Fives. And he's the guy from uh, Salt and Precinct 13. Yes. Well, John Carpenter likes the stable of actors, and I like that. He does. No, this scene is great. scary. It doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter. It's very easy comics. It does kind of introduce the, the concept of there's a countdown. Because when the corpse falls, he scrawls three. Yeah. So it does reinforce that, that there's a number we're going for here. Right, right. And we'd already had that scene with Adrian Barbeau and the piece of wood. First, it was a gold coin, then it turned into a piece of wood. Did Mr. Mockin give you a, any of those funny brownies last <laughs> night at the 420 party, Andy? <laughs> Yeah, so we already have that one. I actually love that scene, too, because now that I'm older, I realize that the scary voice is reading the, the, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Something of what it is with like an albatross around the neck, no more like a millstone, a blood. 
dwelling stone by God. Damn them all. Thank you, English degree. Wait, where? When? Okay, in the in the in the radio station when you know. Oh, then yes, okay. Smooth jazz, KAB, thirteen forty on your radio dial. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, and there's the piece of wood, but when the water hits the tape recorder, it goes wonky, and there's the right. spooky voice talking, and it's the rhyme of the ancient an albatross around my neck, an albatross uh, like a millstone. That's the rhyme of the ancient mariner or the mariner, if you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> to pull a in the book. It then goes on to you hear what they're saying when the ship was crashing. Oh, okay. So I don't know if that's more of it because it's like, damn them all. They plundered us for godless state. Curse you, Norris. Can you not hold her steady? So I don't know if that's still from that poem or not. It sounds the same. I think, yeah. Yeah, So maybe it just, it continues on like that. The millstone around and the albatross was was what made me think of it. I don't know about the rest of it. Well, you know, I guess what happened, we we could still both be right because when the ship wrecked, they could have been having a poetry reading (laughs) session. (laughs) <laughs> it's a poetry slam. All the lepers there that still have fingers snapping. Yes. <laughs> That's a myth. It doesn't cause your fingers and your limbs to fall off. It's a, it's a myth. <laughs> a myth? Yes. <Yeah>. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but we take, that t- we take that whole slow time with Tom Atkins' story, and it just lulls you into that sense of security. It's this wonderful close-up, you know, as close as anamorphic can get, but you can... That sense of the ship going by, like the, the light keeps going back across his face, the slow kind of hypnotic thing, getting you all in the trance of listening to a spooky story. And then you get the jump scare and you think it's over. <laughs> and then you get corpse on face. But yeah, but it's during that scene when the, when the, when the, what I was just talking about with the Rhyme of Ancient Mariner is that we find out that six must die. And we hoped that, that was the whole piece of wood. We didn't have like 126 or something. <laughs> get the whole number on there. I mean, it was broken off. We don't know. It did just say Dane, not the Elizabeth Dane. It could have been Taylor Dane. I don't know. If, it, if it was Long Island, it would be Taylor Dane. <laughs> the wreck of the Taylor Dane. <laughs> we'll kind of go for any six. We're not that picky. <laughs> Who's keeping count? <laughs> oh, wait. Greg, well, no. did you already kill someone? Oh, God. Put her back. Put her back. Put her back. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Our bad. Sorry, Mrs. Cobretz. <laughs> Game off. Game off. <laughs> Car. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite shots of the movie, too, uh, when there are several, is one of those early scenes where where, uh, Stevie Wayne is figuring out that there's something weird about the fog and she looks, she's looking out and you just see it starting to approach town. It's just a gorgeous shot. Like you got the the red sky over the town and the coast and the fog movie. It's just a gorgeously composed shot. And it looks so good on a big screen. Not a little screen. Big screen looks gorgeous. But that's with a lot of anamorphic stuff. If it's not really in a larger screen, you lose a lot of the oomph that it has. As I learned watching it this time. There's a lot of scenes like that, and it makes me happy. One of the things I also really enjoyed watching some of the bloopers and stuff was that the, any scene with Hal Hobart was that Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis could not stop laughing at each other. Oh, really? <laughs> Every time they yelled, they're like, blah! <laughs> uh, and then they made out. Do you have, like, the newer release of it? that Shout Factory did? No, no, no. Yeah, because mine's like an ancient DVD, so I don't know if they've added new things or not. I'm sure they have, but I can't, if I, I'm not one of those people that run out and buy a DVD every time, or a Blu-ray no. or whatever. Like, if I've got it, I've got it. I know, like there was the new Friday the 13th stuff. Oh, that I got. <laughs> no, I wanted I wanted the 3D print, but that, okay, we got, that, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> but still, like, yeah, the, the fog stuff, I'm like, it's very pretty, but I have it. <laughs> yeah, see, we have a whole day of reprise for some reason. I, I'm going to just go with they can't be out in daylight. Whatever. They come with the night. 
Well, I think it could also have been the hour that the planning of their doom. Whatever. They're on their own schedule. We'll okay, we'll kill you when we want. You don't know. You don't get to tell us when we come and kill you, okay? You had your chance a hundred years ago, all right? No. But you're right. We talked about this last time that there does seem to be an inefficiency and in how these leper ghosts are going about their killing plan. Like we know they have to kill six. They don't go to the most populated area where this big celebration, the big centennial celebration is. They're picking people off on the outskirts. Yeah, they, they go after the lonely antelopes. <laughs> or is, are they going after six specifically of the people who wronged them? Or like descendants of the town? Because I, as I mentioned before, it's like, then why are they going after a kid from Chicago? Right. He, Look, he knows what he did. He knows what he did. He murdered his father. <laughs> Look, now, now, now in my watery grave, I just have a sign that says Taylor. He took the plot this to Dane. We want Dane back. <laughs> That's why they're going after the kid. They want the rest of their sign. <laughs> they want, we want our wood. Give me our wood. Give me my wood back. Freaking thief. <laughs> uh, I do. I think that would have added a little je ne sais quoi to the film if like it was a specific six they were going after. I also like that they don't know because they can't be like, okay, I just moved here. I'm fine. Right. I mean, one or the other, like, are they going after, are they just taking random six people or are they going after six specific people? I would like to think that Stevie Wayne saved the town. Like everybody, because apparently everybody in this town listens to this one AM <laughs> radio station. <laughs> because wherever you go, she's on. Then again, with that voice, I'd listen to her too. And the music was cool. We can't afford rock music, so we're going to play this instead. <laughs> we can't afford actual released songs, so we're just going to play. This. We're fighting with the FCC. <laughs> just deal with what we have. And she just like interrupts in the middle of a musical phrase to be like, you're listening. <laughs> I don't know, I push something on? And she's like, one second, and we'll be right back. Yeah. And then like, the song is still going. <laughs> you're not going to turn me off because there's no other stations in town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm it, darlings. Get used to it. Get used Thank to you. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind the mystery of it because it would take the, the stress off the people that were there, and it would take the stress right. off the audience if it was six people. But whatever, they're working on. They're working on their own plan. They're working on their own plan. We don't need to know. All right, when you need to know, when we're going to kill you, you will know. <laughs> we only got a couple of hours for this. Like, do, is it going to go on till we get six, or will we be here all all month waiting to kill six people? We don't know, but whatever. It it all works. It all works. I just enjoy that if they are going for a specific six, then Kobritz was one of their founding fathers. Mrs. K Mrs. Kobritz was there. Mrs. Kobritz was there. Yeah. She was. I've always said all oh, this was Mrs. Kobritz's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just hanging on Mrs. Kobritz. And maybe it's because the way she says Andy, she sounds like she's Aunt B. From, from the Andy Griffith Go show. Go close your windows, Andy. Go close your window, Andy. <laughs> Terrible. I uh, and the, the whole finale of this is great too. The the, the the dual showdowns at the church and the radio station are great. Both of them are very very intense. And the fact that the one at the radio station wasn't there is amazing because there, when after the weatherman gets killed and she goes into survivalist mode, but for the town and she's like screaming out instructions like the fog's over here, the fog's over there. You gotta stay out of the fog. She's and she's screaming into that microphone like a crazy person. She's doing all that, and then she looks up, and that fog just rolls over that rock. Just her face, yeah, yeah, a frozen face. She, I'm like, you look fucking gorgeous, but it's that wonderful thing. Like, I'm terrified, scared, but I'm at attention, and you're not getting out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the showdown in the church, or 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 the when uh, Father Exposition comes out with the twenty pound cross of solid gold. 
and oh, you see just like of gold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. More musical theater. Um, You're welcome. And you see the you see the leper ghosts in the pews and that like information like that shot is gorgeous and terrifying and really neat. With the fog rolling in, I'll just oh good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, everyone get to position, get to position, backlit, go. go. (laughs) Cue my eyes, red. No, but all the stuff with them crashing through the windows again. It's all like old school comic book night of the living dead feel to it just classic stuff and then i also like on top of like the juxtaposition of that like classic night of the living dead like hands through the window horror shit the showdown between the priest and blake is very human right it's a discussion even though blake doesn't say without words like but the priest is very much just like it's me i would say something but my lips fell off (laughs) (laughs) yeah no, I just like that for as supernatural, quote-unquote supernatural as they are, they're actually, like, they can be related to. Mm-hmm. I like that. I thought that was neat. We are here for a reason. The gold's here. You got it. Like We're here for you. We're man. here for a reason. I know your reason, and I'm going to try and fix it. You didn't even change your name. Like, how many Malones, how many, how many William Malones do you have in your goddamn family? What's Thanksgiving like? Hey, William, can you pass the, pass the stuffing? Sure, William. Thanks, William. It's like Heather's, but with Williams. And they're all priests. Yeah, and her whole, her whole fight on the, on the roof. And a good hunk of that was shot in reverse to make the fog look like it's going away. Yeah, when the fog is, there's no way to make fog disappear. So they had to shoot it in reverse. <laughs> like, don't blink. Apparently blinking gives away when things... Oh... They they had a clip about John Carpenter and Adrian Barbeau saying like, yeah, uh, he's like, you have to go through all the emotions. Like, I want to see you go through all the emotions, but in reverse. Now tap. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, tin roof. Rested. It's the second time I said that because <laughs> Tom Atkins was telling a story. He's like, there's a tin cup. Rusted to the table. Tin cup. Rusted. To the table. Because I ruined things. What I also like to is when he hands off the gold and this is just because it's the 70s and it's with the special effects that they had. And everything starts glowing and it's the same glow that all the muses had in the movie Xanatu. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Michael, Olivia Newton-Judge is going to roll escape on in a second. <laughs> Gene Kelly's like, I'm making this movie because it's shooting close to my house. And I only like Olivia. Everyone else sucks. <laughs> Okay, so since this is the podcast where horror gets gay, I already talked about finding my gaze in the movie, and I said, yes, it's, 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 it's that. It's um, Nancy Loomis and Janet Lee. That's the couple I want to have happen. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely Nancy Loomis. She's after, she's after Miss Thing. <laughs> I like to see them get together after this is all over. <laughs> Let's blow this down and go start a yurt farm. Was that a thing? <laughs> we'll go raise alpacas. <laughs> but what would happen? What would happen if the lepers... <laughs> We're all gay. We're also all gay. Oh, I think they are. <laughs> I mean, there were no women. I don't. Well, exactly, because we know there we know there were women ghosts because they'd have wigs and long eyelashes and lipstick. <laughs> and what's their leader's name? Blake. Gay. 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 <laughs> just gay. <laughs> gay. 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 It's gay. just this one hundred year supernatural RSVP cruise. <laughs> Here's another tip off. Everywhere they go, everywhere they go. He even had glowing eyeballs, like. Thank you. Everywhere, everywhere they go, there's fog, <laughs> there's wind, and there's weird lights. Beyonce is in the fog. <laughs> oh my god. 
the fog. Just glow sticks start going. There are no lepidators. There's no lepidators. There are no lepidators. Got me looking so crazy right now. Gloves got me looking so crazy right now. Party doesn't start till mid in this fog. And there's actually there's actually photogenic proof. There's photogenic proof. I can back this up with stuff that's in the movie. Because, okay, there's the scene. After the 15-second sex scene that we say, but we don't say, where one of the ghosts is knocking on Tom Atkins' door, which is a terrifying scene. I love the fact that they didn't knock with weapons. Yeah. It's like, we're not even going to pretend. We're just here to murder. Creepy hooks and sickles. I love that. I also love that they're polite, so they might also be gay Canadian lepers. <laughs> I mean, it is the Pacific North and West. Who knows where the border was at that point? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Exactly. It wasn't a, California wasn't a state at the time. Who knows? <laughs> but they're not, it's knocking on the door, and he comes out when the clock strikes one, and that's when their hour is up. And you see the shadow with the door. It kind of does this snagglepoot. It almost like the shadow blows away. It's like, hi, girl. Bye. <laughs> Exit. Stage left. It's a very dancey move. Off the <laughs> and jeté. <laughs> okay, here's my question. In the film, we talked about this on the last episode. In the film, somebody, someone's watching me. The full title was Someone's Watching Me! Exclamation point, which by law means it should have been a musical. Yes. If The Fog was a musical, who would you cast Michael Caine? Oh, go straight to hell. Um, who would I cast in a musical of The Mandy Fog? Mandy Patinkin as Blake. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Mandy Patinkin is as, as, as John Houseman in the beginning. That has to be like a whole aria. The 21st of April. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, who's Blake? Oh, uh, I'm all on thinking of like esoteric New York actors. Like, that's not, that's boring. Okay. okay, fine. Here's mine. Who do you, okay, go, hit it. Ahoy, mate. This is Stevie Wayne. You're listening to KB. You shouldn't get the five. Stevie. Mm. Raspberry. <laughs> Carol Chang. <laughs> Someone catch my Sean. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Here's another version. This is the film noir version. Andy. Run. Mrs. Corbett. Run. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Or is or is she the 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 uh, Janet Lee part? You're annoying, but I like you. That is a missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> My stupid dog barking at the ocean. <laughs> what does that tell me? <laughs> My son is trapped. My son is trapped. My son is trapped. <laughs> My son is trapped. My son is trapped. <laughs> Lit. <laughs> oh, I think we've done the fog. Yes. I think we've done the fog. In short, go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Scream Queens, the podcast where we ruin shit. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to be able to watch the fog without hearing... Carol Channing. (laughs) 
Betty Davis. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> well, if you really want Betty Davis as like the old lady in a horror movie, go watch Burnt Offerings. I see ding-dongs. I've already covered that. <laughs> actual line in the movie, <laughs> Michael. Actual I line in the movie. Little kid runs. Yeah, yeah. They talk about all the food that's in the refrigerator, and we don't see any of it. And if the kid grabs Betty Davis's hand and goes, I see ding-dongs. I'm like, you just said, I see ding-dongs to Betty Davis. She's like, mm-hmm. That's not quite what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're calling them these days? <laughs> This vacation sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Kalon, where can people find out more about you? And do you have anything going on? Anything at all? Can you make something up? Nothing. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next year. Next podcast, I'll have something to say. <laughs> when, when, you, yeah, sure you will. Sure you will. <laughs> sure you will. <laughs> I don't know. I made a boom boom today. <laughs> I'm Michael Kalon. <laughs> Yeah, that's the, I put on pants. That is that is a challenge for all of us at every day. You put on pants is a good thing. Tara, what's going on with you? Where people find? Wait a minute, you had a friend who had something cool to plug. Do you not? Yes, she. Her name is Emily Black. This is her third year doing a horror themed calendar. The if you go to Indiegogo and just type in "You Got Red on You." you'll be able to find it there. The calendars are already printed. So if you order them, you are getting one. It's not like she's doing the campaign to raise the money to print them. They're done. And she's had before, like Tiffany Shepis has been a model for her. I think she might be in this year as well. And this year, her cover model is the 80s action star, Cynthia Rothrock. So again, uh, Indiegogo, you got red on you 2021. That sounds fabulous. And I have to applaud your friend's optimism. That we're going to make that it to 2021? We're preparing a 2020 calendar. <laughs> <laughs> is she Canadian too? She is, but she currently lives in San Diego. Um, um, okay, but still, I applaud that kind of optimism. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about I, I have no like my friends selling calendars too. I'm like, because mm, <laughs> like the one I already have is still in February, because why, why bother changing it? All right. Thank you very much for joining me, Michael, and you too as well, Tara. This has been a lot of insane fun. And before we go, just want to say one thing to you both. Happy Halloween for me, Carol Channing. Happy Halloween. I can't do voices, sorry. <laughs> Neither can we. <laughs> My beautiful, beautiful screamers, let me once again extend a huge thank you to Mr. Michael K. Loon and Mr. Gardner for helping out with John Carpenter Monday talking all about the fog. That was cool. And by the way, if you missed that link that Tara gave out for a friend that's doing that horror calendar, it'll be right down there in the show notes, right there on your listening device. Just like all the URLs I mentioned, they'll all be down there. They'll all be down there. Now, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say a few things just because... <laughs> As this year gets weirder and Halloween gets closer and it's going to be a weird Halloween like no other and election days immediately after that, I the amount of uncertainty and stress has gotten to me and that is why I made the executive decision not to do that fundraiser I was thinking about. Not now. Once I get working on an episode and the juices get flowing, I start, I tend to 
bite off more than I can chew. And given where I am right now and given how hard it is to get through my day, it's not a good time. I'll come back and look at it again in December or so. And uh, by the way, if you know anything about streaming with Twitch and how to do fundraisers on Twitch, please let me know because that's the kind of help I'm going to need. I just didn't have time to put it all together in time. And I had to just step back and say, Patrick, you're already stressed out. This is not the time to put more undue stress on yourself. Chill out, relax. There's plenty of time to freak out tomorrow and plenty to freak out about tomorrow. So it's Sunday night right now, about 10 o'clock, and uh, Smoochie and I were hanging out, watch TV, eating pizza. Actually, we were watching this uh, Joe Biden, I Will Vote fundraiser concert, and it's really been cool. What I wanted to say about it, though, is that before anything started, they just had Joe and Jill Biden on. They were just hanging out and talking with George Lopez and Ana Navarro, and Jill was just telling the story about their first date. And how they met. And it was a corny, silly story. And they were, you know, giggling and, you know, elbowing each other and and blushing. And it was utterly charming. And it struck me. I can't even imagine our current occupant of the White House having a conversation with his wife like this or anybody like this. Just being this relaxed. Just being this silly. Just being this human. And it made me realize how much I missed that, not just like in the White House, I just mean in life. Because for those of you out there who are you know, quarantined with somebody, that's a gift. Because, you know, as I said a million times, I've been going through this alone, this is not for Miss Smoochie. And just to have, see someone having that kind of connection in the midst of all this kind of gave me hope that maybe we'll all be out of it soon. I'd gotten so accustomed to living in this weird sanitized envelope devoid from all human contact, except it's not on a, through a plexiglass screen or a Zoom window, that I forgot what it felt like to see people connecting live in real time and not in a movie or, or a TV show. And I don't know what things are going to be like when the next episode rolls around. Because that'll be November. The election will have happened. And... I just kind of feel we're hitting the tip of the iceberg of troubles. Like Things are going to get a hell of a lot worse before they get better, and it worries me. Which is why I'm going to urge you one more time. Vote. If you're thinking of sitting this one out, just this is not the time for complacency. I don't want to harp on that anymore already. I've said enough on that, and I feel if you still need to be prodded, nothing's going to move you, but... Just in case, hey, you out there, you actually count. Your voice actually matters. And lives are at stake. So I had mentioned back in September, I have this little box of ideas for months and themes of months for upcoming sessions of the podcast. And for November, I'm not pulling one from it because I decided this a while ago. With this amount of stress, horror is not where I want to be. I think we're all going to be stressed out enough in the next few weeks that maybe straight up horror isn't the way to go. So I'm going to be talking about some comfort movies. November is comfort month. It goes with it goes with Thanksgiving, right? It goes with that whole like, you know, stuff your face with pie till you can't move with familiar things. Oh, pie, mashed potatoes, jerky, nothing exciting, but I'm going to eat lots of it because it's familiar. So I'm going to be sticking with comfort movies. So... 
I'm not sure what order it's going to happen because it depends on lining up my guests, but I know one is going to be Clash of the Titans from whatever year that was, 1983, 1982. I don't know. You know, with Harry Hamlin and everybody and all the Ray Harryhausen stop motion animation. It's horror adjacent. There are monsters. And there's also men in loincloths. And those are two of my favorite things put together. Oh, and Maggie Smith, three of my favorite things put together. We're going to gay the fuck out of Clash of the Titans. And the other one that we're going to talk about is Abbott and Costello's The Time of Their Lives, which, again, is horror adjacent because it's about ghosts. Luke Costello is a ghost haunting his Revolutionary War home, trying to scare Bud Abbott out of it in modern time. It's a family favorite, and it's a warm comfort spot for me. It makes me go num-nums, and so we're going to be ta- I know I'm going to be talking about that with Liz and Josh from Bloody Date Night. But what order they're coming in, I do not know yet, but they will both be happening next month. So, Anyway, before we wrap up, I need to say thank you to my cohorts in crime. And I'm talking about you over there at Squadcast FM. Squadcast is the place for remote recordings for professional podcasters. This session with Mike and Tara was indeed recorded with Squadcast. And as you noticed, I dropped my ring light onto my audio mixer and wound up disconnecting the Squadcast connection. If I had been using a lesser service, everything that we had recorded would probably have been lost or somehow corrupted. But no, Squadcast is backing everything up as you're doing it. So we were able to just pick up right where we left off and continue on as if I wasn't a clumsy piece of crap. And on top of that, the sound is top notch. It's super easy to use and customer service there is fantastic. So thank you all the guys over there at Squadcast. And you can get a free seven day trial of Squadcast by going to bit.ly slash squadqueens. And if that isn't enough to make your journey as a podcaster be even more fabulous, thank you again to the trick-or-treating, house TPing, rotten egg throwing, full-size candy bar giving out at Halloween, sexy-ass Todd Bung, Jedi Nuts of the podcasting community over at Captivate FM. Captivate FM is the only podcast host that is actively involved in expanding your podcast, helping it grow. So there's so much less work to do than with other hosts. You don't have to spend all day doing crap to promote your podcast and growing your podcast. They're doing it for you. And that's a fantastic thing. And getting everything out is so easy. It's almost embarrassing. So get your seven-day trial by going to bit.ly slash CaptivateSQ. Once again, that's bit.ly slash CaptivateSQ. And if you missed any of these crazy URLs that I keep throwing at you, they're right down there in your show notes. So use them. So if you've enjoyed yourself here today at Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay, why not recommend it to a friend? If you didn't have a good time, recommend it to an enemy, because why not? And if you'd like to get in touch with the show or follow me on social media, you could do that by doing a search in Facebook on Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. So come find me, follow me, drop me a line, say hi. And of course, I realize I have no ideas for what to do with my Halloween. No, being alone, everything's shut down. COVID numbers are starting to swarm up again, so that's not good. So if you have any cool ideas of something I can do in my house alone, please let me know. That sounds really bad. I already know how to do that in my house alone. Thank you very much. I already have a place for that, Lori, as, as Nancy Loomis would say. Whatever you do this Halloween, if you do something cool, if you do something not cool, if you have a cool costume, if you know anybody wearing a cool costume, if you see a cool decoration, please take a picture and send it to me. In the past few years, I've had to live my Halloweens vicariously through you because of the Potathon, and now I just have to live vicariously through you because that's all there is. <laughs> Ah, ah. All right, wipe your eyes, tough guy, because it's time to wrap up this show.
So from the bottom of my heart, I wish you the happiest, creepiest, spookiest Halloween and also a safe one. Forget to keep yourself safe. I want you to still be kicking around on November 1st, you know? On a reel, wash your fucking hands, wear a fucking mask, keep your fucking distance, vote like your life goddamn depends on it because it fucking does, and have a happy goddamn Halloween, you beautiful bitch. God, I love you. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers continue to make the world a creepier, a creepy but still super fucking fabulous place. And never, ever, ever, ever forget for a moment that Scream Queen's golden rule. You know the words. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel, baby. Wash your fucking hands. Wear a fucking mask. Keep your, dis- keep your fucking distance. Vote your fucking ass off. And stay fucking fabulous. Happy Halloween. All of the music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.